this was a good conversation. I think I got a little bit hot and bothered. My, I think I burned I, down the house. <laughs> no, I understand. I, I think your temperament reflects my inner temperament as well. I think your frustration is a reflection of America's frustration. I, you know, I even think that there are many people that may even support Jordan are frustrated by the situation that we are in. It, but, but I want to get back to the constant insults we have to endure in with in the the political language that has developed. And I definitely want to remind us that we are not enemies. We have different beliefs or, di or different solutions. And many of those solutions are based on our life's perspectives. Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. Peter and Phil, Courageous Conversation. Dr. Nelson, always a pleasure. Wait a minute. This show is never going to end? Never. Gee, I didn't sign up for that, Peter. Although we can always find problems, so I guess you're right. The show that never does end. Hello, Peter. How you doing? And hello to our listeners. How things going, my man? Yeah, they're going. They're going. The world is uh, a bit insane out there, but it, they're going. And I want to thank Nationwide for supporting our insanity and our conversations, which are a little bit of both. So... Normally, I come poorly prepared, but uh -oh. and, and I think this came out of the conversation we've had recently, but I want to uh, entitle this, Get Your House in Order. And Phil, this has nothing to do with yours and Doris's house or Sharon and my house. It has everything to do with the House of Representatives and the inability for us to get our quote-unquote house in order. Well, you know what? I had a topic too, but I think my topic is going to, to intertwine with yours very well. It just shows the frustration that we are all feeling right now. And for the sake of the audience, in terms of uh, a temporal location, we are recording this particular conversation right after Scalise was nominated for the Speaker of the House, then gave it up because he couldn't get elected. And then our second Republican, who Dr. Weinstein probably wants to talk about, was nominated and went through two votes and fell backwards on the second vote. And now they're considering giving temporary power to the temporary speaker simply so that they can do the work of the American people. Yeah, I would suggest it's been an embarrassing month. Not just for the Republican Party. No, for the United States, for yes. the, the leading democratic country in the world to show its lack of leadership. Our Congress has suddenly become uh, the British Parliament. And it's with the party in power in the House, 
not being able to form a workable coalition and honestly using the second party of the two-party system as its foil for its own mishaps. It's interesting to bl- how easy it is to blame everybody else for your inability to make an action for the greater good. There just seems to, and, and, I, and this goes back to some of the conversations that we've had in the past, but some of this is term limits and, and some of it is the chasm that we've got between right, left, and center, and just an inability to recognize that, in my opinion, that the role of the House and the Senate and all of the of DC is really to act in the best interests of the American people. But there's a lot, way too much self-interest that's going on in, in Washington at the moment. Well, I totally agree. I think, though, that what bothers me the most is if you listen closely to the language that's being used by the Republican Party or by members, excuse me, by members of the Republican Party, you suddenly understand the deepest of the, of, of the roots of, the, of our problem. And I think it begins with the demonization of the word of the word compromise and the demonization of the opposite party, be it Democrat or Republican. And the example I, I, I want to choose is, is that when Representative Jordan suggested a day after the first, after he, he failed, the, the first election, first vote failed to secure him as speaker, he made the comment that, uh, well, maybe, you know, uh, you know, the only other option is to, is to cede some control to the Democratic Party uh, and work with them. And the American people don't want that. Now, that is a quote, and it, it infers and implies, first of all, it assumes he speaks for the American people, which is totally absurd when he can't even assume that he speaks for the Republican Party. If he did, he'd have no problems becoming speaker. But I found it more than insulting that he would suggest that he was following the wishes of the American people. And if he was, then he has a very narrow definition of who Americans are. There's so many inferences and deductions that are questionable and irritating and frankly dangerous here. And it peppers the entire conversation for me. It goes even, you know, they go even further to say that if you listen to the rhetoric that's going on, you know, one of the choices is to consult with the, Demo- with the Democratic Party and say, who among us would you find acceptable, respectful? Not, not who among us, who among the Republicans do you think uh, will do your bidding, but who do you trust? Who do you trust at, to, to at least follow longstanding Democratic with a small D 
principles so that we can get the work of the American people done. The, the representative from, I believe, South Carolina uh, wore a shirt with a scarlet A <laughs> uh, uh, to, to the vote, uh, to the second vote because of her vote on the first one, because of the, because she was pilloried and intimidated. I mean, this, this violent minority that we talked about in the past, that, you know, now we send our minions to send terrorizing emails to our spouses and to ask, why did your spouse vote this way? They, you need to get them on board. All of a sudden, we are deciding who Americans are, who Republicans are, who Democrats are, and there cannot be any dalliance, any variance, excuse me for using this word, any diversity of opinion. And that's how we can allow eight people to hamstring 400 members of Congress. Yeah, you know, and I always thought democracy was the freedom to have different opinions and to share those opinions. And that, that respect came from being willing to agree to disagree and have these courageous conversations. Maybe we should be playing this in the, in the halls of, the, of uh, Congress, courageous conversations. Because I think when somebody says that it's the will of the people, what does that mean? You know, maybe you should ask the people before you use a statement like that. Once again, it shows a either a forgetfulness of the structure of our democracy, because Jim Jordan doesn't represent the American people. He represents his state, and he only represents a part of his state. And he can say that my constituents wouldn't want that, but he can't say Americans don't. This reminds me. This reminds me of a, of a meeting I attended. I was only uh, I, I served on a board, and I won't name the the board, but I was on a board meeting one day, and um, this this was four or five years ago, and another member of the board was, we were questioning something about a process. It happened to be at, a, at another college. Uh, it was a department of another college, and we were discussing a student project or something, and anyway, this particular individual spoke up and said, I think we should use Republican values of truth and decency to help us to determine whether this we should do this or not. And he was very passionate about that phrase. And I challenged him immediately and said, I'm sorry, when did truth and decency become the patented value of the Republican Party? I, I said, uh, I'm not even sure it is the patented value of a religion, let alone a political party. You know, but I have no problem. I would have, I would not have challenged you if you had said the American values of truth and decency. Uh, even though I don't believe it is, it is solely rele relegated to a country either. But I definitely will not sit here and allow a left-handed slap 
to the Democratic Party by inferring that they don't have these values, you know, because that's the first, that's the slip, that's how you get on the slippery slope of demonizing your your opponent or the person you're you're you you disagree with. It's, it's no wonder if it's no wonder we we're having problems with race and and gender equity issues in this country, or we're having problems with Hamas and uh, uh, and Israel and and the Palestinian people and the Gaza trip, Strip. If we can't even talk civilly, with well, without recognizing that we have hidden trigger terms in our language, in our politics. The, the, the efforts in many ways to control outcomes kind of goes with some of the efforts to create an autocracy that we dealt with three, four years ago and continue to be concerned about in, in, its, in the unwillingness to listen to other people or share other people's thoughts. And so when somebody says the will of the people, it to me, without having any valid support from that standpoint, really indicates it's an I statement, not a we statement. It's, it's, it, it's not him representing the people, it's him representing his opinion and using a we statement that really doesn't exist. And we've seen that in the past. Yes, and, and, and I would phrase it a little, a little differently. I would say it, it's, definitely, it's definitely a tactic right. that is being used to support my opinion right. by assuming that, that I, have a, I have support. But I, but, I, but I want to take it a little further. I agree that he had no data to suggest that the majority, for, 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 for anyone to be able to say th that America's opinion is this, they must have some poll data or election data that, that's, that supports that the majority of Americans are in alignment with whatever is being promoted. But I take it a step further. And my step further are the hidden inferences in there, the, the, the people he didn't meet. There was, the inference was that if you didn't, if you weren't a part of this, uh, of the majority, even if it were true, then you weren't American. There's this hidden pressure now that you can't be in the minority. And by the way, the entire Republican party is in the minority. Well, that's true, because if you recognize it, there's probably only about 38% of the populace that is in this conversation that we're currently having. As Republicans, yes. Correct. Right. You know, and then there are independents who sometimes side with the minority and sometimes side with the majority, but they are the swing votes that make it, that, that create the ultimate majority. Yep. Yep. And, and that right. independent population is growing. Yes, because of statements like that. Correct. Because of actions like that. 
you know, and, and what really bothers me or I find ironic is that the gang of eight who refused to move, Scalise essentially didn't bother a sec to go through a second vote because he realized the gang of eight was never going to, he was never going to convince them. And because the Democratic Party is staying to the side and trying to give the Republicans a chance to, to all of a sudden the Democratic Party is even villainized by voting their uh, their views. Even the former speaker blamed the Democratic Party for voting him out. You know, well, you know what? The Republican Party can solve this pretty quickly. All you need I is mean, twenty people from the Republican Party to vote on the Democratic side. When did the vote? When did the former speaker ever vote for Pelosi? <laughs> you know. By the way, the former speaker set this up because of his because he bent over yes to the, to the gang of eight that allowed this to occur can you not no i'm not so sure it, it was allowed i think this was a strategic maneuver they forced the former speaker first of all he didn't have the balls to live up to his own agreement yep with all right that was a bipartisan agreement which he negotiated and then he ended up yielding, and because he, and in order to try to keep the Gang of Eight in his, in his tent, he yielded and broke the truce. And even though the Senate and, a, and the majority of his own caucus was, in, was willing to support this agreement, uh, meaning they had already voted on it and agreed with it, he allowed this Gang of Eight for him to void the agreement. And then they turned on him for that. Why should we trust him? Why should the Democratic Party trust him to be an honest agent after that? Let, let's go back to uh, January when it took him 20 votes. 15. Whatever. 15 votes. Isn't there a message there that the Republicans should have figured out that this is not the direction and the only way to get elected was basically to mortgage himself, basically to sell his soul to the devils of eight. Well, so that, that, that they, they have the same problem now, right? I, I, have you noticed that no one has discussed changing that rule? I, I, I don't understand why anybody, and I think that's because they believe that if Jim Jordan wins, he'll have the protection of Trump and, and nobody would dare that no, no single person would dare call for his uh, resignation because they know that they would go after, they would be going against the MAGA sect of the Republican Party. You know, so all of this was contrived. Yep. And the greatest example or the greatest evidence of that is who we're looking at for, to, to be the Speaker of the House a co-conspirator, a co-insurrectionist, a, a person who has been labeled by his own party members, his previous speakers, as nothing but a disruptor. He hasn't passed one bill for the American people, and yet he chooses to speak for them. And his wrestling team at Ohio, The Ohio State University <laughs> was more than willing to express their disdain for him in that role. So he has lived 
somehow in immune to everything that goes on around him. He's, he's got some level of Teflon coat for somebody who does absolutely nothing for anybody but himself. Well, now that we've expressed our feelings about him, let's go back to the issue because yeah, I let's frankly... do that because I think we got off the tangent. <laughs> the, the bigger issue is how do we get our house in order? Yes. How do we create long-term change? Because this is embarrassing, it's disgusting, it's frustrating. There's so many greater issues in the world that we really need to be focusing on, whether it's Ukraine or Israel or even some of the the um, inflationary states in, in South America that could ultimately impact our economy. We're not focusing on solving our own problems internally. We're ignoring everything for a bunch of, of people who can't make a decision for the greater good. How do we make, how do we create long-term solutions so this doesn't become an annual celebration? So first, let me bring the temperature down just a little, because if, if we're going to solve this, that's how we have to start. And that doesn't mean that everything you just said was not true. It's just that when we look at a problem with that type of heat, we're never going to address the underlying situations, the underlying issues. And for me, the underlying issues is that we have yielded our individual rights to the extremes of the party of a given party, or maybe we have yielded our moderate rights or our moderation, our tendency toward moderation to the extreme wings of both parties. And it is time for the, the truly silent majority, not, not the violent minorities, to wrest back their power. I actually am hardened by the new faces I am seeing being interviewed from the Republican Party that's, who are saying, this is enough. But you can't do it by just fighting in private. Trump doesn't do anything in private. Well, I take that back. He does. He strategizes in private, but his strategy is always about public manipulation. And uh, as we said in a, previous, in, a, in a previous conversation, when statesmen start walking away, from politics because they may be pilloried for, for a single opinion that is different from the far from, from an extreme wing, that is not democracy. What I'm seeing is moderates being fed up and they are now being pilloried for doing the same actions that the Gang of Eight did to get us here. And that, you know, as a matter of fact, do you understand what they were, what, what Jim Jordan and the MAGA, MAGA group was trying to do? When they finally pressured Scalise to step down, which meant that Jim Jordan would be the one left for, uh, as the obvious nominee, then they started pressuring their uh, Jim's opponents and non-supporters by first saying, we will primary you if you don't support Jim Jordan. We will get, what's his name uh, from Fox News? We'll, we will sick Hannity on you and we will create bad press for you. And they whittled, and at first there were almost 60 people that would not vote for, for Jordan. But in these private conversations, when the carrot didn't work, they use those two sticks. 
and, they're holding people hostage. Yes, and then they got it down to 20. Now, I'm, I'm actually quite proud of those 20 that said, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you promise. You've had 10 years in Congress. Why should you change your clothing now? Why would you change your tactics now? As a matter of fact, what makes you any different from the former speaker? You can promise me one thing and then change your mind once you get to be, become the speaker. And then he was hoping that the first vote didn't secure it. Anybody who went on record and voted against him, he could then use that. He could use Hannity could, to attack them between the votes. Now, many of them got around it by not voting no, but voting for somebody else. So I have a, an interesting question. By the way, Jordan's going to try to go for a third time around. If the shoe was on the other foot, if this was a the Democratic, the Democrats were trying to choose their person, what would that look like? Well, we we saw that. Now, and what we saw was one of the differences between the two. The, the Republican Party actually uses the Democratic Party is willing to compromise at some point before the Republican Party will. And they use that as a as evidence of weakness as opposed to a principle of democracy. But the last term of for Pelosi, she had a similar small majority when they had the, when they were in the majority. And they and and the differences between the progressive wing and the moderate wing of, of the Democratic Party were just as strident as the differences between the, the MAGA wing and the moderate wing of the Republican Party. The difference was behavior, though. Yeah, well, you know, the willingness to sit down and work it out before it became a public discussion. This is exactly just a, they still yeah. had pri they still had private discussions, and they still had private uh, differences, and they were just as strident. But they did agree going in that they were not going to disrupt the function of Congress. Yeah, I mean the Republicans are just airing their dirty laundry. So I've got well, no, no. They're not just airing their dirty laundry. There is a small group of Republicans that's trying to Im impose their will, right? And they believe that the work of Congress is worth the sacrifice to get their will done because it's the only way they're going to get it done. They're not going to get the votes for their extreme agenda. And the only way they can get that is to impose it. That is why uh, you become an, an authoritarian, an autocrat. So I want you to play what if again. What if there wasn't a puppet master sitting over the top of the Republican Party pulling the strings of all of these eunuchs? Then you then they might have a chance if they could remember the principles of this country and what they or why they love this country. Right now, all they can focus on is why they don't like the country. When, when, when they say 
since I can't change things, we're just, we're just going to burn it down. Now, they don't really mean burning down the things they like. No. They think that they're, they're like forest rangers, that they can do, uh, that they can uh, perform controlled fires that will only address the issues they want to address. But then they end up changing the rules of how you start a fire, you know, and before you know it, it's not a controlled fire anymore. But now all they're focused on is eliminating their the obstacles and not understanding that there's diesel fuel in the at the boundaries of all of these obstacles. And that there's the danger is they will burn down everything. Isn't the solution just to rake the forest? <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, that would that would create jobs. Yes. Well, but you right know, now and, unemployment and, and, is and, and, it's, and it's and it sounds like the slave mentality again, where we you know, by God, we, we can teach a new skill. This was a good conversation. I think I got a little bit hot and bothered. My, I think I burned I, down the house. <laughs> no, I understand. I, I think your temperament reflects my inner temperament as well. I think your frustration is a reflection of America's frustration. I, you know, I even think that there are many people that may even support Jordan are frustrated by the situation that we are in. It, but but I want to get back to the constant insults we have to endure in with in the the political language that has developed. And I definitely want to remind us that we are not enemies. We have different beliefs or di or different solutions. And many of those solutions are based on our life's perspectives. Uh, you may, you know, we have a guest coming on, uh, uh, coming on into our in, in our next conversation, that we're very interested in her perspective, in her life's experiences, to help us understand her differences of opinions with some of ours. But that doesn't make her an enemy. It is more than insulting to me to have a house to have a member of the House of Representatives who wants to be the speaker of the entire house to infer that if I am not a Republican, I am not American. If you watch the news and read the newspaper, you get a world. But if you go to this store and you run into people and you talk to people, you get a whole different world. And, and I think that the American people don't look across the aisle in the store and think Republican or Democrat. They think American or whatever. But I think the news, because it's so newsworthy, start to, to add, they are the kerosene, they are the gas in many ways that inflames a lot of what's going on because it sells news. But I don't think the I totally disagree. I am so sorry. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I, I, I'm not gonna blame the press here because all the press is doing is putting a camera in front of our politicians. 
I, there are times to blame the press. Don't get me wrong. The recent, um, uh, as a matter of fact, that's an issue that we should probably discuss in another conversation. And that is um, the, the, uh, the bombing of the hospital in, in the Gaza Strip. What, you know, and, and the initial, uh, uh, the initial article that came out clearly blamed Israel for, for the rocket, which now our intelligence suggests it wasn't an Israeli rocket. And there are people that are, uh, uh, there are former uh, government agent, uh, uh, former government officials who are now in the press, who are angry about how that inflamed the Arab world. Well, the Arab world, you know, Hamas also sent out misinformation to, to, that, con, you know, that concurred with that. But I'm not saying the press doesn't make mistakes, but the press can't change how the politicians actually respond. When McCarthy, you know, was speaking when it, I used to just frown when he would be he would be asked a question and he would set up and he he would he would um, deflect the question to to a, to democratic behavior or 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 a democratic issue rather than answer the question. I understand what you're saying. It is that venue that serves as an inflammatory process, as an inflammatory vehicle, but it is not the press itself that, that's causing this problem. You know, I believe when American people go to the polls to vote and they vote Democrat or Republican, they're voting for people who are in alignment with their personal views, but they expect whoever wins to coalesce and get the job done. They don't expect them to continue the war in Congress. I don't believe that's what we expect. And yet, that's exactly what, that's exactly the excuse they make. So my comment stems from the fact that the major news networks represent either side of the political spectrum. And so there tends to be a reporting that is biased. And since a large majority of our populace receives news also from social media now, there is less reporting of global news and much greater reporting of biased news. And that's why I believe that even though we try to present information once you start on a slippery path to the right or to the left, it's much harder to climb back out of it from a newsworthy standpoint. That's where my premise is coming from. I stand corrected. I, I agree with you there. I was thinking of news. I was not addressing opinion stations or opinions programs. Right. And uh, the biggest problem, again, again, the biggest problem may may not be the I still I, I still stand by the fact that I don't think it is that the free press is the issue. The issue is is our sophistication in using differentiating free press from opinion and propaganda promotion. Right? And the, and and I understand that we have programs that seem to have a 
to either have to be a wolf in sheep clothing or have or to have blended purposes. And that is a problem that we as a society, you know, everybody thinks you can you can address these things through regulation. I'm not one of them. I believe in an, an educated community that can tell the difference. Well, I want to put on the topic list for the future the free press because okay. no, nothing is free. Ah, okay. And I'm would beg to differ that much of the free press has been bought in some way, shape, or form. And uh, well, we can we we don't want to dive into that today because it'd take another hour. That's true, but yes, I'd love to talk about the principle of free press. The principle of free press is one thing, but the and, reality of free press is another. Well, that doesn't mean that there there isn't one. And by the way, uh, nothing is free. But the moniker of free in the term free press does not relate to cost. I know. But so once again, even you have now adulterated the phrase free press. No, because the word free has many definitions. Let me pull that back because you're right. Even a free democracy, even a free country has a cost. And right? I think we're and I think we're seeing that right now. I mean, yeah, no, but that, but see, I'm going back now. We're seeing something different. What I'm trying to get you to, our veterans will tell you that our freedom came at a cost. And so when we use the word free to describe anything, it, it is that cost that provides it. And when we don't respect that cost, there's a different cost. Correct. That, right? That's that, 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 which is what you're talking about. Absolutely. And I think yeah. a good a good way to tie up loose ends is to basically say freedom isn't free. Yes. We're saying the same thing. Absolutely. And I think that's a good place to not peanut butter and jelly time because we're not reporting on uh, recording on the same day that we have peanut butter and jelly. But it's peanut butter and jelly time for me because I'm a bachelor. Oh, well, where's Doris? She's in Jackson visiting our moms, and okay. I, I get to join her next week. Hey. Well, then you enjoy your peanut butter and jelly. I'm going to go have a glass of something to drink, but non-alcoholic, because I've still got one more phone call. But um, yeah, uh, a, what was it? A house divided cannot stand? Yes. A house divided uh, within itself cannot stand. Yes. Since I'm listening to Lincoln's, one of Lincoln's biographies, that mm -hmm. has come up a number of di different times. And I've got lots of questions at some point in time for another conversation about that, but uh, not today. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad we got, we got a chance to see the passionate, enraged Peter Weinstein. I mean, Oh yeah, well, you, you saw how far off the center I actually go. It's like the needle moved a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's okay. You, you, it was fine, and, and frankly, once again, I want to say, I think you reflected, I think you reflected the common uh, feeling, although I don't have any polls to support this, of, of the majority of, of Americans. You won't hear me say this very often, but I'd like to quote a famous Republican. I'm listening. Abraham, Abraham Lincoln. Oh, yeah. Well, everybody, back to the fact everybody wants to quote him. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And that's what we're dealing with right now. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Nationwide. Thank you to all our listeners. 
send us your opinions. You can go to www.peterandphil.com to catch on our prior recordings. And I believe there's a place you can express your thoughts as well. And um, we'll see if we can fix the house between now and the next time we speak. You, you bring the hammers, I'll bring the nails. And let's get Jimmy Carter, because he was really good about building houses after he got out of office. Yeah, he actually was pretty good at doing it while he was in office, but he had a recalcitrant Congress as well. Yeah. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Peter. Enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.